0: Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Right now... Uh, My conversation with Cammie Garcia is our most recent one. The wonderful YA author. That was a lot of fun. Next month, oh, special treat. We're going to have two, two conversations. One with the fabulous David Laskin published his first novel at age 65. Not too bad. And also with today's guest, which I will get to in just a moment. Uh, But I will also say that we are funded by the fabulous people over at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955, if you want to learn about the PNWA, their conferences, their workshops, their contests, just their support, and they are very supportive people, I have been honored to be a part of them all these years, go over to pnwa.org and check it all out. So, all right, listen, uh, first of all, I will be teaching a memoir writing class Uh, at Right on the River. And I believe that is on April 10th. April 10th. Let me just double check. Yes and steedy do. So head on over to... If you want to do it, it's a virtual class. Uh, The class is filling up, but there's still room. And if you're interested, go over to uh, rightontheriver.whatever and uh, sign up for it. It's worth it. It'll be a lot of fun. So, all right, listen. Today's kind of a special one. You know, they say you should never... Meet Your Heroes? Well, I did, and she was great. And I'm talking about Martha Beck. Uh, If you're not familiar, Martha is a PhD, is a Harvard-trained sociologist, world-renowned coach, and New York Times best-selling author. She has published uh, nine nonfiction books, one novel, and more than 200 uh, magazine articles. Her most recent book, which is coming out in the middle of April, is called The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self, We had a fantastic conversation about writing, creativity, the integrity of finding your path. Ah, it was just awesome. And I'm so glad I get to share it with you. So here it is. Martha, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you on.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: You know, it's funny. when uh, my wife actually said, you got to interview Martha Beck, she got a new book out. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let's <laughs> see if we can make it happen. And when I saw the title of the book, I was so excited because I had been thinking about the word integrity a lot. Really? Yes, around the, but in, and in the way that you use it. Oh, um, interesting. Yes, it is. Well, I will say without getting into too much depth, the kind of work I do aside from this is similar to what you do. So, but I've been uh-huh. thinking about that word and so I was very excited. So why don't we start by you telling the viewers and listeners uh, what you mean when you say the way of integrity, what you mean by integrity, not the sort of right. mental version of it.
1: When I was like 10, I think uh, my primary school teacher, my elementary school teacher told us that the word integer, integer and the word integrity were the same. And integrity meant to be one thing that is whole and undivided right. and that just stuck in my head and so as I grew up I, I mean it has a kind of judgmental a prudish tone almost to some people
0: yeah. but I
1: thought of it the way I think of structural integrity yeah so the the example I use in the book is an airplane if it's in structural integrity all of its parts are working harmoniously yeah. and it can fly And if it's not in structural integrity, it could crash. So the same thing is true in our lives. That's my premise.
0: Yeah, and one of the things when you think about life, like all of life, I remember when our cat Lou died and we only had him for a few years and my son came in and he said some, and we hadn't had as our first pet and he died after a few years, got hit by a car. And my son was like, my youngest son said, something's missing. Something's missing. I remember thinking because I hadn't experienced a lot of death in my life, and it had been a while since a pet had died. I thought nothing can be missing, life, right? Like it can't be missing because otherwise life would just be missing, 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 missing every time or a bug died, and death is happening all the time. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. Yeah. It feels to me like everything is a field called life. Eckhart Tolle says this: that, that life is not the opposite of death. Yes, birth is the opposite. Yes. of death. Yes, of death. Life has no opposite. It's just right. everywhere, and form moves into it and out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's so good to remember. And so, okay, so uh, I think I, I mentioned my wife. She bought me um, "Leaving the Saints," which I loved.
1: Oh, and, thank you. Uh, oh
0: great book uh, and a memoir, a true. What I call, I teach memoir writing, and I say this pure memoir, and that's to me pure memoir, meaning it oh, reads more or you. less like a novel, right? More, but in the first person, right? As opposed yeah. to the sort of self help, which is has memoir aspects to it, but it's not right. pure memoir. But I was looking back through your bibliography, and it's like Follow Your North Star, which my wife used to publish her children's book years ago. Oh, part cool. Of, yeah, she used it as sort of a system. Yeah, and she did. She did. She got it with Viking. So it was very cool. Um, and I can't, but it seems like if you look at your um, what I would call self help nonfiction yeah. version, a part of your bibliography, there is a theme of leading your life, leading your life. Yeah. How do you lead your life? Is that fair? That that's been the question you've been trying to answer.
1: Yeah, I've often thought about writing a book called "Leading Your Life," because ah. the whole the it seems like I was born to be a misfit (laughs) culturally. (laughs) I I just, wherever I go, I I do something that makes me so socially unacceptable. And so my, my fallback is my true nature. Like what do I really want to do with my life? And I realized that if you don't take the lead in creating your own life, culture or somebody around you is going to take that leadership, take it on because it's available and the life they make for you will, Probably not be one you really love. So grab the, the reins yourself and lead it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, and it's so true. And I love that the focus um, because you talk about culture in the in the in a, in a really uh, in a di- slightly different or more specific way. Meaning, it's not just right. American culture, but it could be. You talked about the difference between Mormon culture where you were raised, and then Harvard right. culture, which was sort of brainy and atheistic as a and so yeah. very different. And each had their own culture and a family has its own culture. And I think it is so true you know, I wrote a book called Fearless Writing. And the whole point to it was mm. like, if you're going to write the thing you write, you have to stop thinking about other people. Like you have right. to. And that's really saying the same because other people is the culture, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Right, however- Terrence
1: McKenna said, whenever there are two people in a room, culture is the third guest at the table. Wow. Any any people in a group, and my my PhD is in sociology. So when I right. say culture, I, I automatically go to, it means the, the implicit rules, sometimes explicit, but mostly implicit rules, that people set up to be in relationship with each other. And so it can happen at any level, but it's always pressing on us. And because we're social primates, (laughs) we're we're born with this overwhelming impulse to agree with whoever happens to be around us because survival is in bonding, right? It's
0: maddening. Isn't it maddening? (laughs) Yeah.
1: It isn't. It's, at the same time, it isn't. I, <laughs> night before last, my iPhone, I, I, I woke up in the middle of the night. I thought, oh, I can't sleep. I'm going to listen to an audiobook. Okay, love sure. audiobooks. books. Tried to turn on my iPhone and the screen was locked and I couldn't get it to unlock. And I tried to turn it off. And the thing called... 911. And ah. so then I was, I'm not trying to turn it off. I can't try to turn it off. And the police called and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm fine. Seriously. And they're like, you can tell us, <laughs> like, we know there's someone in that. I'm like, seriously, no. And then I just sort of ran around the house going, somebody help please. And I thought here, I write all this stuff about being boldly individualistic, but when the chips are down, I'm glad to have other people around me building iPhones and and calling me when I may be in trouble and helping me with my iPhone. So I thought it's not about dissing culture. It's about knowing who you are so that you bring that to the culture right? and you bring the best of yourself to it to create the best culture that you can contribute to going forward. And you can't do it if you're trying to please people
0: right? No. You, can't, you can't bring the best self if you're trying to please him even a little bit, right? It's nope. like
1: does not work. No. I, I wrote Leaving the Saints, Anne Lamott once said, write as if your parents were dead. And I thought, all right then. So I did. <laughs> oh boy. And then I found out that Anne Lamott didn't write about her mother until after her mother was dead. <laughs> and I was like, Rah! <laughs> I shouldn't have allowed my culture with Anne Lamott to shape my actions. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble, but you know, many years later, there's still nothing in that book that wasn't absolutely the truth as I knew it. Right. And as I still know it. And and that makes me feel really good.
0: Well, yeah. And I always think, you know, that's when I teach memoir writing and that's always the big concern. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to hurt people. Yeah. I do believe with when and memoir in the the broadest sense, meaning a story where you are the protagonist, where whether it's short or long, if you are only trying to say, this is what life taught me. I had this mm-hmm. experience and it taught me this. You are much less likely to offend someone because it's not about accusing them of having done wrong. It's saying, I had this experience and you had some intense experiences with your father in particular, yeah. right? And- Family in general. And family in general, right? And, but it, what was wonderful about that book and a good example of how to, of, of why memoir can really thrive and be so transformative is you weren't the victim in that story no. the way you wrote it you know and you Thank can't you. be I always tell my students you can't be a victim you can't oh, no. you can't be villains in your memoir and your no. father could have been a villain he could have no. been a villain with a capital v right
1: he wasn't though I, no I mean how could I not have empathy for him I right. he's my father I love him right. he's dead now but you know I yeah you can't write from anything but love or it just yeah. No And the big secret to me about memoir and self-help and, and the anecdotes I use in self-help form is that they're actually they look like they're about me, but they're actually always about the reader right. And that's right. the the secret that I always tell people um, when they want to write is show up at the page not to get attention but to give attention. Yes, which is so much harder, right because you don't <laughs> know who's reading. nope. Nope. And yet, you have to somehow send out your empathy vibe enough to say, "What? Who is sitting there?" Like I, I once heard from an, a warden at a, a women's prison that when they tossed the cells looking for contraband, one of the things they found the most often were uh, people had torn out copies of my my column in Oprah, Oprah uh, magazine. Nice and. <clears throat> From then on, every time I sit down to write, I think about a woman in a cell who's had no chance. Right. You know, she's probably on the fringes of society. Like look at your worst case life scenario. What about my white, cultured, highly educated life? What is going to be about her? Right. What's and, and and when I get that and I'm actually writing for that person, but also for, you know, Any, whoever. For me. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me too yeah and writing for you absolutely i remember i had a i had a um an advisor at harvard harvard every time i say harvard drink <laughs> yeah shot. um but i wrote a thesis on chinese women because i was a chinese major as an undergraduate and i took it to him and he was a danish man and he said i don't care <laughs> i'd written this whole dis- this thesis and he was like i don't care about this and I said, why not? And he said, because it's not about Danish men. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> and was your advisor I at Harvard. Yeah, um, especially at Harvard. <laughs> um, I went home and I thought, you know, he's right. If I can't write it to him, um, I'm, not, I'm not working hard enough. I've got to write it so that he wants to read it, that it helps him. So I've always come from that place. And I think that's why I've been able to write successful memoir and and articles and stuff, because it's the hard work of imagining yourself into someone else's life and trying to, to pull a little bit forward for them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever, so I write personal essays. That's what I do. That's my, where I dwell and self-help kind of. And so Mm -hmm. what I realized, which was quite beautiful is I don't know anything about my reader. I don't I mean, they're probably writers, but some of them aren't, you know, I don't know if they're man or woman, gay or straight. I don't know any of that. All I know is that they're human. Right. So if I connect to the part of me, the the most universal part of myself, like this suffering and relief and the fear and the joy that will allow, that will let them read it for their reason. And I love connecting with, because I'll tell you, Martha, I am, you know, a 55 year old white guy lives in whatever. That's not actually who I think of myself. I think of myself as that, that, that being from which I write when I tell those personal, that's who I really oh, am. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Oh, completely.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's what I would like to live from. I don't, I have an ego and it, you know, it meddles, <laughs> <in> my... <laughs> but as much as I can live from that place and I have learned to more and more, the older I've gotten, the better things go live. Like I yeah. write. I don't know if you ever tried that. I try to do that myself
1: to, to write from the,
0: the... no live from the place I write from.
1: That is exactly what my latest book is about. The Way of Integrity is about find that space of harmony. I've met so many self-help writers who really, it's like the cobbler's children go without shoes. Like there are two (laughs) kinds of self-help writers, the ones who are living what they write and the ones who need to be living what they
0: write. And
1: because broken people end up in healing fields and and some do better than others. Uh, Anyway, you can do a lot of help without living the way you write. You can come from a really good place when you write. But if you can actually live it, it gets to a level that is, it's, I, I always talk about it being magical because it feels like miracles start to happen around me. Yeah. And um, I'm really good friends with Liz Gilbert, whose memoir sort of went boom yeah. and yeah. everybody read it. At least all the chicks did. <laughs> um, and what, we always talk about the moment when the room falls away. When you sit down to write and yes. you're fighting it and then the room falls away and there is no you and there is no computer and there's no room, is just p- one part of consciousness trying to connect with another part of consciousness yeah. for love, for the re- there's yeah. nothing, there's no motivation, but love. And I know she tries to live that way and I try to live that way. And I'm so excited to meet other writers who are like that because it's a much bigger challenge than saying, I want to write a bestseller much bigger.
0: Oh, and it's also, it's also more gratifying. I remember I was in an argument with my wife uh, years ago. So it was just one of our, you know, and as usual, I was thinking, what can I say to end the argument? What can I say to make her not be mad at me? Just the way I was, I was, I didn't, I came from a family that didn't argue. She has taught me how to do it. Bless her. So there we were having it out. I love this woman. I've been with her 30 years now. So it was great. But there we were. And I said to myself, this is true, Martha. I said, I'm going to talk to her as if I'm writing from the same, because oh, wow. when I write, I all I try to do is say the truth without judgment. And so I just like went into that place within me that I can find when I write relatively easily. And I yeah. spoke from it and the whole argument ended, but the goal wasn't to end the argument, but I just spoke from this truth wow. just without judgment on her, without judgment on me. Just, I felt this way. It was probably very sort of couples therapy 101, but I was just speaking from truth without judging, right. without fear, not in her head, not in her head, where's where wow. I try to get when we're aren't used to anyway. And it all no, ended up you your own
1: integrity. Yes. That's, that's exactly. where you stood. You found integrity you, because when you write, you write from integrity. And so Hopefully. you took off everything but that. Yep. And suddenly it's like, what is most personal is most general. What is most, um, most absolutely true to the self is most able to connect with all selves. Yes. So that's, freaking brilliant
0: good yes. for you well thank you it was but you see it was its own reward immediate reward peace yeah. all I want is peace that's all I want Martha I <laughs> <Me> want. <too>. <laughs> <laughs> I want all right so you did something I really like in uh, the way of integrity and uh which is something I just so I come I should tell you I come from the field of fiction and I moved to creative nonfiction right oh yeah and it was a very and that's where I dwell now and that's it was and and my journey was to come to that it was very hard for me to accept that this is what I do I really had a Mm. image of myself as a fiction writer just from my upbringing and a lot of other stuff and so but I love it now and one of the things I learned that was interesting when I started writing this essentially spiritual stuff because as you talked about with Liz Gilbert um you know, if you're talking, the world falls away. And if you're writing about creativity, it's a very, it's a non-physical experience yeah. ultimately. And that's what I write about is creativity and spirituality. But I learned, I had to make it physical. I had to find the physical metaphor. And you chose yeah. a great metaphor in Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. The, right? The, right? The
1: set of the most intricately crafted memoir of yes. metaphors. It's just, it's interesting when I was in Greece And I learned the alphabet. And so I could read signs phonetically. And I saw all these trucks going by and it said, they said metaphor on them in Greek lettering. And I was like, what, (laughs) actually maybe Liz told me this story, but it seems as if it happened to me. (laughs) is what we say right after you hear it, it's the other person's story. After a while, it's a story I once heard. And after that, it's like, I think this happened to me. Anyway, the trucks in Greece say metaphor and metaphor The reason all the trucks have it is that it simply means something that is carried from one place to another. And the whole job Uh, of writing is to take things that are ineffable from our brains and our hearts, but ultimately, as you said, from our spirits, so it's really not articulable, even, and to somehow carry that experience into the mind of another human being. So metaphor is the carrying device and I read Dante when I was a miserable 18 year old and I was looking for help anywhere I could find it. And I found it in the Divine Comedy and nobody else read it that way. But I've lived by that book since I was in my teens. Wow. I just decided to write it down finally. It's weird. You and T.S. Eliot.
0: I think he was a huge, I think he was a huge, he was actually, I thought instrumental in in bringing that thing back to popularity. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was T.S. Eliot. I don't know.
1: Did it, yeah, it could be. Well, the yeah. Wasteland
0: had all this Dante stuff in it. Was Whatever. it Ezra
1: Pound? Yeah, the Wasteland. And I was obsessed with P.S. Eliot too. In the oh, wasteland. you were? Oh,
0: so was I. Oh, oh my, my God. Goodness. Do you remember? I'm, hey, let me ask you. When I was a freshman in college, I was not at Harvard, but it didn't matter. I was freshman in literature class and I loved the proof rock. And, she, and then the teacher translated essentially the Wasteland because it's so full of references that at 18, I had no idea. Right. And yeah. it was like revelatory. I thought it was so cool what he did. Uh, taking all this stuff and cobbling it together to make something yeah. did you did you like did someone translate it for you or did you do it on your own
1: no i i remember reading the wasteland and being very it's funny because i wrote about reading philosophy in this last book when i went into my first big teenage depression actually i was depressed from like the age of six to the age of
0: perfect 19 right. or
1: 20 um, <laughs> And I was, so I was always desperately reading for help. And The Wasteland just hit this chord with me. I'm sure I missed almost all the illusions, illusions, but the imagery was really profound. And I remember I had a kind of breakthrough. I once told a Zen monk about it and he said, why have you not written about this? I was 18. I was reading um, The Wasteland and I could I suddenly like could see everything that that he was writing about as if it were projected on a screen. And then this point of light came. It was as if somebody stabbed a knife into a movie screen that was projected right in front of my face. And it it drew drew down the the screen. So I had a picture of the hollow man out in this gray wasteland and then it peeled apart. And I all this color flooded into my life and I could see all the people who had loved me, even if I hadn't really spend much time with them and it was like i felt like elliot broke open my depression for me wow and i remember going around yes (laughs) people well I, i what would go on in my head over and over is i said to my soul be still and wait without love for it would be love of the wrong thing and wait without hope for it would be hope of the wrong thing there is yet faith but the love and the hope and the faith are all in the waiting wait without thought for you are not ready for thought Oh. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness, the dancing. That broke my depression. Wow. Because I realized I, I couldn't think about what the world was supposed to be because it was the way I was thinking that was the problem. Right. And so I just read The Wasteland over and, and all his poetry over and over until something smashed open. And I've, I've not been clinically depressed since then,
0: ever. That is beautiful. And I forgot that line. And what I love it is I've come to think of with writing that the moment you become a real writer, whatever that means is when you reach the end of a sentence and you don't know what comes next and you don't panic because just (laughs) what he is describing is you wait, you clear your mind. You don't think, but you listen and you wait and you trust and you have faith and you believe in where it came from that so many people fall apart. And I used to a little bit too, I think, because if it wasn't going great, I would kind of lose it. It doesn't happen anymore. But that moment of, Knowing something will come, even though it hasn't come yet.
1: Yeah, absolute faith.
0: You do it with writing. You do it with everything, ideally. Yeah. But I, for sure, I learn it with writing.
1: And Elliot calls it a condition of complete simplicity, costing no less than everything.
0: Ah, oh, Eliot was another
1: definition of integrity. Like burn, and this is I always say, burn every bridge but truth. Like that is the only thing. But if you if you've got truth, it comes for you. You don't yes. have to go to it. Yeah, Every yeah. great writer I've ever talked to talks about going to the place where the language comes. Yes. And, and just waiting there. Yes. Sometimes in terror, sometimes in faith, but it doesn't, it, it comes from that place. And, and that's a ride, Bill. That's like, a, that's like, a, I don't do drugs, but if they did that, I would do them. <laughs>
0: well, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, I always say to my students, like, look, don't do this. I don't need to ask the question but I know cuz I know the answer but you wouldn't be doing this if you hadn't gotten into that flow state. There's no reason to write yeah. if you aren't if you haven't entered that experience. You may mentally cut yourself off from it and I think a lot of struggling writers or beginning writers don't allow it to happen as often as it could. But yeah. you know you, any anyone worth their salt understands you're not you're hearing it. You're letting it happen. You're not yeah. doing anything. Yeah. In the in the like chopping wood.
1: Although there is. I mean, Dante, there are two mountains. Um, there's one at the beginning when Dante comes Mount to his classic midlife crisis. Right. I came to myself in a dark wood, not knowing how I got there for the true way had been lost. And he's like, what do I do? I'm lost. Everything's miserable. I'm exhausted. And he sees a mountain and it looks very beautiful and people are climbing up it. So he tries to climb it. I believe that represents the successes that that we define in our cultural ways, like we get up to the heights, we become movie stars or wealthy or whatever it is, he can't get up the mountain, he keeps getting chased down by wild animals and, and it ends up that he can only get um, up where he wants to go by going through hell first, and then on the other side of hell he climbs this mountain called purgatory. But what you're talking, and as, as he goes up purgatory, he's literally purging away all his, in 12 steps, they would say his defects of character right. so that he can be exalted in paradise. But that first mountain, he calls it mountain delectable, Monte, I think is how <laughs> you say it. And I think that represents the way people strive from ego. And I think yeah. you actually can't, you do get people who write a lot but they never get to the flow state. The flow state is the purgatory. Right. And you have to go through hell to get there. Oh. So a lot of people are just like, eat, pray, love. I could write something twice that good. Right. It, just, it just lies there. Yes. They haven't been through hell oh, yeah. themselves.
0: You can do it. Like <laughs> you can put words on the page, not in the mm. flow state. Now I have done it. It's no oh, fun. Oh, me
1: too. <laughs> you know, it's
0: no fun. Um, hey, let me ask you this. So um, do you feel, cause look at you still you still on the journey right right yeah right you're still there as we oh, yeah. all are but as you get further along as you start learning a couple things you start let's mm-hmm. say so you start learning the difference between when you're in your integrity and when you're not mm-hmm. do you feel like not being in your integrity is sort of like when i used to smoke Mm-hmm. and it seemed like a great thing to do. Now, the idea of it kind of grosses me out. Just the idea huh. of smoking, like I can still smell, taste the ash and the tiredness. I was telling my wife that like, I, I can't even imagine wanting to anymore. Huh. But when you're out of integrity, do you notice it faster and and find yourself more irritated by it oh, than yeah. in the past?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I developed such tolerance. I mean, growing up in Mormonism, which is, you know, if you're Mormon out there, I'll you know, no, no hard feelings here, but it's a, to me, it's a very weird religion. And so you grow up with a, a set of beliefs, you know, every righteous man will have a planet people by all his many wives. And, you know, my great grandfather had a bunch of wives and it's, and I was just like, all right, but it felt awful, yeah. but I didn't even know it felt awful. I didn't know. That's life, right? Awful. That's
0: what life feels like.
1: Right. If you're Martha, yeah. right. So many people are born into less than ideal circumstances. And the interesting thing for me was it was explicitly about the concept of truth. Like everybody would get up in church every week and say, this is the one true churches. This is the one true thing. And it just felt, I would be like, that's what truth feels like. I don't think so. And when I was 18, I realized I had no idea what truth felt like. And I set out for it the way a starving person goes for food. I mean, yeah, I knew by that time that if I didn't find what was true for me, I would, I would have to kill myself. I yeah. couldn't stand yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's something that everybody starts out missing. I think very few people have their true integrity to begin with, but as you go forward, it causes more and more suffering. And in my case, wow. Now, if I go that far yes. off, it's like you say, it's probably not bad. It's not like I suffer terribly like I used to, but it's so nasty. The taste it is, thin. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: that's how it is for me too. Like if I have one day where I try to force myself to write or I'm thinking about my editor or my agent just a little bit, oh, suddenly I'm like, I've lost the reason to live. I can't, Like exactly. it all falls apart. And, and then I come back, but it happens so fast now to me. Oh my God. Like if I get a little off, I can't bear I tried,
1: it. I tried to write some- marketing copy day before yesterday, it nearly killed me. I literally lost all strength. I was just lying there like a a grub waiting to pupate. And then somebody came and said, who's good at it and said, why don't you do this? And I'm like, oh, that tells the truth. Okay. I get it. And it was all the energy came back, but it's so sharp and so fast now. It's just, and I think it's like that for a lot of people because the times are pushing us so hard, you know, I guess moment.
0: I don't know. I'm always suspicious of the times because I felt like, you know, have you not in my entire life, my entire 55 years, I've heard people say in these trying times. And so yeah, you're right. Like, when does it not be trying? Tell me when are we done with the trying times? I mean, this is a different time for sure, but maybe they're all trying or not trying. What do you think?
1: Oh, no, the history of mankind is dismal. Like, <laughs> would you rather be born in the 13th century or yeah, the 14th no century thanks. when Dante was writing? Have yeah. fun back there, people. No, but I do believe that the, the human condition is miserable and causes people to complain about the times and this new generation and that new thing. I mean, I do think we're subjected to more streams of information than we've ever oh, had.
0: For sure. So
1: that's yeah. like, I don't even know that what that does to our brains, but I don't think it's necessarily bad. What I do think, at the end of this book, so if you follow Dante all the way through, it's easy to understand hell. Everybody and their dog has written a translation of the Inferno. Dante's Inferno, we know what to do. Um, Nobody writes about the Purgatorio or the Paradiso. No. And I took a course in it at Harvard, and it said Paradiso is obvious. Obviously, where Dante finally gets laid. <laughs> and I was like, really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> They're like, yes, he sees a big light at, at the center of the universe. And it's obviously, you know, a lady part. And oh. I was just like, really?
0: They In also Harvard- said, by
1: the way, that Shakespeare started writing happy endings after the great tragedies because he he went senile. There's a very strong push toward, like, nihilism. Yes, anyway i do think though that there is at at the end of the divine comedy dante describes as i said i was a chinese major as an undergraduate and i lived in asia for a while and i knew a lot about asian philosophy and he what is described in the paradiso is like point for point what happens in records of asian masters who have attained enlightenment right and if you look at Shakespeare's place and you look at King Lear versus Prospero in The Tempest yep, and you, yep. if you really read Walt Whitman or like a lot of people have had this experience that in Asia is called awakening. And now they've done brain research on it. And it turns out that it's not only a very distinct measurable phenomenon, but it's something toward which we are biologically compelled. Right. And I think when everybody says the times, the times, it's all such crap. Right. I think we're all fighting toward a way of living that will free us from that kind of psychological suffering. And we blame it on our circumstance yeah. as I just did. And you totally called me on it. <laughs> Booyah, <thank you. laughs>
0: That's I'm here for you. Oh, Martha, <laughs> Martha, Martha, I could talk to you for a very long time, but we have just about reached the end of our time. So what I want you to do and I don't know if you can even answer this question. I feel like you probably have 10 answers, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Cause I ask everybody. What I want you to do is finish the sentence. Okay. If writing, All that you've done a lot done a lot of writing, haven't you? All the writing you've done has taught you anything. It's taught you what?
1: I'm gonna quote Goethe, I'm not ever gonna use my own thing. When you trust yourself, you will know how to live. Full stop.
0: All right, so there it is, my conversation with Martha Beck. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Uh, I am going to be um, posting an edited uh, version of the video of the conversation. So if you want to watch Martha and I yabbing with each other and it was, we was pretty animated. At least I was, I think you can do so. So that'll be up for the April uh, issue. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend and to all of you out there. Hey, find your true path. Do it, man. There's nothing better you can do. So find something you love to do and do it.